This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Break Upward, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak. And this is episode 115 with Brianne McGuire. If you want to skip right over this intro where I profess, 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 and get right into this really juicy talk. Oh God, I kind of hate that word, but it probably sounds more exciting than whatever I just said about myself. Though I think you should listen to this intro, but if you don't want to listen, the real conversation happens somewhere around the 10, 15 minute mark. As in 10 minutes, 15 seconds, or something like that. I am smiling, 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 and wait till you hear how our conversation starts and ends and how I describe myself. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna tell you. The first part, I was just, I think I said I was blushing. I was blushing when I found out a little bit more about who my guest is and more, not more importantly, but additionally, what she does. I mean, what's more important than just who she is. Then by the end of the call, I said that I was, I think the word was tintillated. I wasn't sure at the time if that was a real word. As it comes out of my mouth, I feel like because of who I am, it's just not coming out right. The bottom line was I felt flushed. I felt alive, excited. Okay, guys, this conversation is about filthy sex. Fairness. I don't know why this has anything to do with fairness. I was caught off guard because I thought we were going to be talking about sobriety, and we do. So stick with us if you're not into the sex talk. We get into sobriety. We get into when a family member doesn't support you, and really the upset, the disappointment of that, and why boundaries are put into place. We talk about, you know, when things aren't put out there, when things feel like they can't be shared, the hostility that is created around that because people feel like they can't be seen. And so much of what Brianne wants to do is make people feel like, in many senses, they're not freaks. That what they're doing is normal. It's a question she gets a lot. Is what I'm doing, does what excite me? I I can't even say the lines. That's how hard it is for me to talk about this stuff. That's what I also want to get into. So basically, the question that she gets is, and what I'm doing, I'm not even saying it right. Does what pleasure me? Oh my God. I can't even say it. Um, what I may be into sexually, is that normal? Those are usually questions that I don't ask myself because as you may have heard on this podcast, I'm really quite open about the fact that I am not the great experimenter. I'm not, though I think I've been called wild in my days, um, wildly flirtatious, but not real wild in terms of what I'm willing to do or just even want to try. We talk about that also, you know, Does one need to try everything? Do they need to be curious? Do they need to be looking for that thing that might hurt them and then make them feel great pleasure? Or is fear okay to have? Like a lot of the times people think, well, it's because, you know, if you don't want to do this, it's because you have shame around it. We talk about that. 
I don't know if it's shame. I feel like it could be fear. What if I just said, I'm afraid to? Okay, I don't want to, and then fine, fine, fine. Maybe I'm just afraid. I mean, is fear so bad? I'm afraid of drugs. When I was a kid, I remember those being in the bleachers, listening to those meetings about taking drugs. I was afraid. So I didn't do drugs, heavy drugs. <laughs> I did do Adderall, which I've talked about my addiction to. See, I knew that there was a problem, but I didn't do more, and that fear served me. So sometimes, I don't know, I, I toy with this. Is really having some element of fear bad? I mean, people want emotional boundaries. Can we have these other boundaries? And do I, do you, need to feel ashamed of having sexual boundaries? Now, what I love about this conversation, remember, I'm going to start saying why everything is a favorite. Well, one thing is, coming onto the podcast when you pitch to me, I say that I want someone that's going to be self-critical. They're going to be deep. They're going to be revealing. They're here to celebrate themselves, their story, the subtleties, their sensitivities. But really, really, really importantly, this is not to come on and be critical of others about the acts or any of that. It's to be, if anything, critical toward yourself, which really is about, I'm looking for someone that has insight into themselves. So my guest knew that and she delivered. Wow, did she deliver. And what I love about our engagement is I didn't know that we were going to be talking about her work in, sounds strange to say, but the sex industry. And she even says that she questions, you know, is she like the sex worker? You're going to hear what she does. Don't worry. And I didn't know. I thought we were going to be talking about sobriety. I'm more comfortable. I think, I don't even know if I want to say that. I'm just going to be straight up. I'm going to be super, super honest. I know no other way to be. What I liked about this conversation is that I was very excited by the end of it for her and what she's doing. During the conversation, I was very excited by it all. I was enjoying this and I felt like the conversation had many different stages. It was like a journey. It's like you're talking about sex and then you're having a great time, you're laughing, you're really hearing all these details and then suddenly you drop down into this serious talk. Some like real feelings are being shared and it's kind of like the best romantic experience, right? Thrill and then the things that kind of would have brought tears upon you at times. So I loved that whole element. It was very, very enriching. The other element that I really appreciate is I was caught off guard, like I said, about that we were gonna be talking about this. And it was almost like, this is live. We're doing this, Chelsea. And I say that because, again, I, I wanna be honest. I wanna be self-critical. Is that I really feel like in the past, there was a long period of time, I mean, I was this person that I didn't want to put a spotlight on things that I didn't quote unquote support. So maybe I feared that. Maybe I just didn't indulge in that. Maybe I never experienced them. I didn't want to put a spotlight on that. I'm like, that spotlight, that attention, there's so many other people that can do that. You know, give it to the people that care. Give it to the people that know what they're talking about. Give it to the people that understand. I'm going to look like a fool and I don't, I don't want to have more people know about this. I don't want to support it. I mean, it sounds cruel, but that's how I was. And then with the podcast, really, I mean, in more places in my life, it all just kind of expands. But it's like, I've been in these situations recently where, again, the recording's going and I'm like, oh shit, this is who this person is? I got to listen to it. And I found myself wanting to listen to it. And I found myself supporting the person, not going to cross over to the dark side that maybe I don't want to go into, but really, really being excited. And I mean that for someone else, for just 
coming into themselves or being able to speak for themselves. And that's really, really special to me to like be able to include someone in a platform that I have that before I would have said they shouldn't be on my platform. Like I don't make sense for them. They don't make sense for me. And now it's like, of course we do. I tell her, I say, we're not alike. We're very different, I say. But this has been great. And it has. And like our differences don't have to mean that we can't totally find a flow in a conversation and learn things from each other. And just all that is quite obvious, no? I think what I'm disliking about it all is that I feel very influenced and impacted by people. And I love that this podcast is exposing that to me. I I feel like I'm being able to track it. Another thing is on this episode, I talk about certain things that are happening in my own life. And what's interesting about listening to it all back is I'm listening to a younger version of myself. So maybe it was a month ago, maybe it was two months ago. And it's like, wow, I knew what I was talking about maybe then, but then I've lived some more since then and I've been in experience some more. So I understand it some more. So it's interesting to hear myself then and then know what I know now. And it's like, I don't know if you're catching up with yourself, but you're remembering where you were and you're seeing how quickly you can come to understand new things. And it's cool. Like as much as you want to put out to the world right now who you are right now and be like, oh, no, 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 like I said this, but I actually feel this now. It's cool that there's kind of a lag because I'm really getting to learn about myself and have to reflect on myself in the editing process. So that was my spiel. That was it. I could say so much more. God knows I could say so much more. I'm going to say two more things. I just remembered. I was featured in Success Magazine as a breakup coach and side hustles that a thousand other people aren't doing. This took me by absolute surprise. I have to talk about it in a future episode. Then the other thing that I have to mention, and I'll put it in the show notes, is that I am going to be featured as an expert speaker on The Now Factor. And it starts on the 20th, I believe. I'll put that in the show notes. My talk goes out June 24th. I'll put the link in. You guys should all sign up. It's a free event and there's so many other speakers. So God only knows what I said. And if you hate what I have to say, there's so many other qualified and I'm sure insightful guests themselves. So it should be a great event and it's about really beginning to live your life now. All right, everyone. Thanks for being with us. And I really hope you enjoy this one. Bye, everyone. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to my audience. Hi, my name is Brianne McGuire. I founded the site Graphic Paint, and I also host the sex podcast, Sex Communication. Sex Communication. I mean, I can't just not get into that immediately. Uh, it's making me blush. I think part of me like wants to have sex. Um, okay, where do I start with this? How did it hit you that you should be someone or that you want to be someone that's not just talking to a partner about sex, but having other people listen to you talk about sex? Well, the idea for the podcast specifically started in July, but honestly, sex has been part of creative pursuits, I would say, for at least two decades. Yeah, I started designing sex furniture when I was in college, and after college, I was working on a crowdsourced sex zine called art porn and kind of the ethos of that project is what developed into this vision of graphic paint which also because I have sobriety as part of my journey kind of got backburnered for a long time but basically it was this kind of very utopian idea of a place where people are encouraged and they have a platform to kind of share and express everything about their sexuality without shame or judgment but also while being super filthy 
because I feel like there are oh my god (laughs) there's a lot of sex positive stuff out there which is great but I definitely was not on the track of like let's make erotica like I wanted really really filthy stuff you know and then just taking advantage of of cyberspace and you know another thing was was not only increasing exposure to this kind of material but really recontextualizing it so I mean on my site there's really boring like human stuff and then there's really graphic sex stuff. And the idea being like, this is all part of the experience of being human. So I'm going to present it all in the same way, in the same place. And the podcast has just been kind of like a natural evolution of that. And it includes audio of actual sex, not always, but frequently. And, you know, it goes deep. It's honest. Uh, no pun intended. It must. Right. <laughs> it must go deep. Wait, who's recording this? Do people send you recordings of themselves having sex or? People do send me recordings. I also, I'm a participant in a lot of the recordings. You know, this is the first season. We do two episodes a week, so I'm already at 31 episodes. But, you know, part of it was like, if I'm going to ask people to be vulnerable and, you know, share these things that are very private, I have to be willing to do it myself which I am. So, you know, there's a range of like things that I'm doing with strangers over the internet. There's things that I'm doing in person with people that I've just met or that I've slept with before, um, like masturbation stuff, regular sex stuff, you know, like all manner of things. Plus recordings people have sent me of them doming somebody or of them jerking off or of them watching porn. You know, people have a hard time listening to like their answering machine. (laughs) I I cannot imagine this level of that. So was there anything that you felt like you had to get over or other people had to get over at first about listening to themselves back, engaging with sexual acts? Um, The people that are submitting seem to be totally okay with it. Actually, I have been okay with Like nothing has made me uncomfortable (laughs) except there was this series of recordings that I was doing with this stranger in Britain. And when we finally introduced video into our playing, he was like doming me over the internet. I remember the first time that we did that afterwards, I was like, oh, I can't publish this. Why? I just, it was so weird. It was a shame boundary, which was totally bizarre for me. I don't know, it was something so... it's hard to explain now because I'm so far removed from that. I don't, and I've already published it on an episode of the podcast, but it was like, you know, the video setup was just, he had something over his camera so he could see me and I couldn't see him. It was the recording of him telling me what to do, but also like I had asked him, you know, this regular doming thing isn't really working for me. The humiliation thing is good. So like, you know, work that. I was challenging him to break me. So he, uh, you know, and we had talked as friends too. Like we would talk about these sessions and we would talk about sex. And so he knew quite a bit about me. He knew about, you know, getting sober. He knew about like abuse history. And so he started bringing all of these very personal details up, thinking that they were going to make me uncomfortable, which they didn't. But then it got to, you know, well, stick this up your ass and do this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I was doing it. But afterwards, it was just like, you know, it was all stuff that I was totally fine with doing. I don't know, there was just something so vulnerable about it that it all kind of hit me at the end of it. And I was just like, oh, God, it was just it felt um it felt like this was the first thing that was like, okay, that's a little too much, but 24 hours I had gotten over that. So (laughs) do you think that he actually quote unquote broke you or no, 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 he didn't, but he was attempting to, but at my request, like, yeah, what is that about? (laughs) (laughs) Enlighten me. I must know. I like, you know, I, I do a lot of 
you know, experimental things and kind of my whole motivation for doing these things. It's like, there's so much hamster wheel stuff going on in my mind. And there are very few things that, um, take me out of that, like give me some relief. Like physically, the only other thing that I can think of is like boxing. Like there's so much physical reflex involved that there's no room in my head for thought. I did the same thing with sex stuff, with bondage stuff, with humiliation. Like it's manipulating your mind and your body in this way that's like it finally takes the control away and it offers some sort of relief and this kind of like almost like a white light experience, honestly. So that's what I was going for. So it didn't quite happen there, but I mean, it has happened in other sexual activities. But I mean, this is the motivation for a lot of people with BDSM stuff, like this idea of getting into the subspace, this like tranquil place where you're just like, you know. You know, I've never had someone just say that though. I don't know, I haven't probed enough or I haven't asked enough <laughs> people, but. I mean, it sounds a little bit like why people might do drugs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Oh, was, yeah. <laughs> Which you yeah, forget I yourself. Drug addict. So, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, this has become, I don't know, maybe the new fix? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly safer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can be, I guess. I mean, if you're being safe, I suppose. It is. I mean, I mean, even if he had been here physically, like in the BDSM world, it's actually way safer and more respectful, honestly, than That's what I've heard. Life. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I say this and I'll just be up for, I mean, I call myself like a prude. I don't think I'm very wild. I mean, I always had to like take this back because I've been told <laughs> that I'm not experimental, but I'm also... I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm also like not a safe person. Like, so I think that people that are even wilder, like are more safe than me. I'm someone that, yeah, (laughs) just going to drop that right there. So everyone can like scurry away from me in life. But I have heard people say that there's more respect. There's more boundaries. There's, you know, more consent. There's more talking about what's really happening and how people are feeling about it in that world. What, What do you think that's about? Well, I think it's just a matter of necessity. I mean, part of the motivation for the podcast and why it's called Sex Communication, it's like, it's really trying to explore how people communicate because it's me identifying this problem of people don't want to talk about sex or they're afraid to talk about sex. And in fact, I really believe the idea of people being vanilla or like you said, being a prude. Yeah, that's the word. That's a myth, honestly, because I think it's really just a matter of like shame or fear or like not having the opportunity or just not knowing about something. But what if you just don't want to do something? I've heard that too. And I don't feel like it's shame for me. I would say maybe, maybe there's an element more of fear, but I don't know if that's a problem. I just haven't found the thing. I think it, you know, to me, that's what it is. And I think what I'm getting to with the communication and why I think respect is a bigger part of that world is like, it's built into it, right? Like you can't have a dom sub relationship. You can't give somebody the power to like own you. Like you're giving them that power, but it's like all of it is, it's a negotiation. It's a contract. It's a communication about this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm allowing you to do. You know, this is what my safe word is. Like you have to be so explicit and so detailed about all of these things. And at every point during your play session, you, you know, like anything can change on a dime. If at any point 
you're not into it, you're not comfortable, like things just change and people have the utmost <laughs> respect for that, which like, you know, that's not how it is in real life. You know, these, all these conversations that do and do not happen about consent and, you know, even just being approached and harassed in public, like all of those things are so far outside of that space within BDSM where it's like you have respect for the other person, for their boundaries, for their their desires and their definitely do not do this things, like, you know, all of it. It's so interesting. I was dating someone that was polyamorous and was interested in everything that you're talking about. And he wanted to do this whole contract. He wanted me to give him permission to dominate me. And I said, you know, that that's not me. You know, he wanted a lot of different experiences with people. I'm like, you're not going to have that experience with me. And you either have to be okay with that. That's your experience with me is something different than these other things. And he broke over it and he shamed me. I mean, I have been shamed by people over it. And he like used my career against me. Like, how are you ever going to, I was going to be a clinical psychologist at the time. He's like, how do you ever expect yourself to be a good clinical psychologist if you haven't experienced all these things sexually? That's bullshit. (laughs) I've been so shamed about it. That's awful. Like, I don't feel shame. Like, we're talking about shame. Like, I don't feel shame, but I have been shamed. And also, just to clarify, like, my statement about, like, you know, I I like kind of like reject this notion of vanilla. I don't mean that I think everybody is like BDSM at mm-hmm. heart. I mean, like the idea of kink, I think is kind of BS. I think it's all like people have their interests and whether you're into dressing up as a furry animal or pissing on somebody or, you know, just being like roughed up a little bit or something I, I haven't even considered, like all of it is equal in my eyes. You know, I think like this idea of kink is just people that have managed to identify whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Effie Blue is? I do, yes. She was just on my podcast. Oh, that's great. I knew yeah. she, she has a podcast of her own, right? I don't know if it's still going on. The last time I checked, she had only a few episodes. Yeah, she didn't bring it up, but I know that she teaches a kink one on one class and she lives in New York. You guys should be getting yeah. together. My God. You know, she's <laughs> in a different borough, though, so it's like so far away. Oh, my God. You're so funny. <laughs> Where are you? What borough are you in? I'm in the Bronx. I know she's in Brooklyn. But yeah, no, you're not the first person to say that. <laughs> yeah, like, how can we arrange this meeting? Biding <laughs> my time and reaching out to her, but yeah. I think if you reached, she would reach back. That was good to know. I will. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your family in terms of all this. Was it something that they were accepting, that they were curious about? Does your parents reshare your podcast episodes like my dad does? (laughs) Definitely not. Um, Well, my parents are split up and I I was raised primarily by my mother. So we're the closest, except we have the worst relationship of the two. But it's definitely as the work has shifted from, you know, being more writing based to being more inclusive of like the podcast and other audio things and film and video and whatnot. um, I have had to stop talking to my mother, honestly, because um, I can't talk about it with her. I like I want to be excited and, you know, share like successes that are happening and kind of like, you know, I'm looking at it as kind of pioneering this new sexual revolution. Like it's very exciting to me. I know that there's something very pure behind it. It's not a matter of novelty or titillation. Uh, Last time I attempted to have this conversation with her, I was like, you know, telling her about how many people were subscribing. And she just said, well, that's just because people are into sex and just dismissed it in this very insulting way. (laughs) It was like, I can't 
I can't continue to, to do that. It just, it tears me down so much to try to share something I'm very excited about with her and just have her kind of shit all over me. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've decided to set that boundary. With my dad, um, I don't know that he's as aware that it's specifically turned into this sex stuff, but he's very much like, live and let live. Like, if this is what, <laughs> what you want to do, like, he's very supportive in that way. But we just don't speak as often, so it, it hasn't come up in that way. But my mother, like, had been subscribed to my website and, you know, like I would send these emails out and I would have a, a non-mom list because, you know, if I'm putting something out and I have an article about sex or I'm pushing a new episode, you know, I was respecting her desire not to kind of have that put in her face. Yeah. which is fine. But, you know, like to be able to just talk about like, well, this is the work project. To me, that was like something different. This isn't me, you know, shoving in the subject of an episode in your face. It's like talking to you honestly about something I'm working on that I'm very passionate about that's very important to me that I feel is a calling. And, you know, you're not allowing me to have that space with you. So it's unfortunate. I'm not happy about it, but that's kind of just how it is. So does she act like the work doesn't exist or that you don't exist right now? She acts like there's no value in it, that yeah. I'm just kind of capitalizing on this. And she's even said this before, like the whole Fifty Shades of Grey thing, like people just, you know, want to talk about sex. It has nothing to do, like, it's not that what I'm doing has any value. It's just that I'm capitalizing on this kind of, you know, just very base level interest uh, people have in sex. And it really has nothing to do with anything that I'm doing personally. It's just me taking advantage of this, you know, provocative subject. Yeah, that's tough. Because I feel like that turns you into this fraud that's yeah. just using and baiting others for your own advantage. Absolutely. Were you able to talk to her about your addiction back in the day or when you were actively using? No. And she was the last person that I told when I got sober. I didn't even tell her until I had 11 months. Wow. did it in a fight. We were um, traveling for a wedding and she would not accept my desire not to go to the rehearsal dinner because I felt really uncomfortable. And it was still like the first year is the hardest. And I was so close to hitting a year that I was like extra protective of my sobriety. But part of why I was afraid to tell her was my father and my brother are both sober for multiple decades. You know, so I grew up with her telling me, you know, this runs in the family, you have to be aware of this. So like, I knew that it was something she was always afraid of. So I felt especially nervous about telling her and you know she's like pushing and pushing why don't you want to go like blah 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 blah. and finally I'm like I can't go because I'm sober blah 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 and I like yelled it while she's in the bathroom it was very uncomfortable and it's weird it's another thing where she doesn't quite want to address it I feel like I don't know we we haven't talked deeply about it but I part of my assumption is like she feels partially responsible I don't know, or that she's failed in some way because it did happen to me despite all of her warnings. That's always what it comes down to with parents. It's like, how did I fail you? And I remember with my sister, you know, being so terrified about my dad finding out that she was an addict and like, how could my child, you know, and then what did I do to fail? I've done everything right. And the only way it seemed like that he could get behind it and rally behind it if he said that he had the problem too. So he's been sober for the same amount of time now. And it's like he had to identify with the problem himself in order. Yeah. But it was a big fear. It was a really big fear about my dad specifically finding out. It's not an easy conversation. I mean, <laughs> it's funny for all of the transparency that I have on the internet and for all of the things that 
I'm not afraid to share with perfect strangers. There, there are some things that are so hard with the people that are the closest to you. But I can understand why that would urge you to be extra open with others. Yeah. You know, I mean, I hate the word compensation, but it's almost like, you know, you're looking for another outlet and you're trying to do it twice over, like twofold. Yeah. I mean, another thing too, um, I mean, in the recovery program that I'm in, you know, there's also the lesson of the value in somebody's story, you know, and the way I've been able to kind of be in recovery all of these years is really diving into that and sharing of myself and listening to others. And it's like, no matter what somebody's story is, no matter what their experience or their pain or their joy is, like there's somebody else that will relate to it. And there's something so, so important about hearing somebody else share something that you identify with and that maybe you've never spoken about before. So to hear somebody else talk about it openly, like it empowers you. It makes you feel one, that you're not alone and two, that there's no shame in sharing those things. So, you know, that's another thing that I'm hoping to do with the openness of the podcast. Like some people might be like, oh, this is just way too raw, too honest. Like why, why would you share this? But it's like, but why are we ashamed of these things in the first place? Like these are all things that we're experiencing. Like whatever you're going through, somebody else out there is also going through it. You know, I have so many people like reaching out to me. Is this normal? Do other people do this? It's like we have these questions because people don't talk about the things that are uncomfortable. They don't talk about, you know, the abortions and the harassments and rape and drug addiction, like all of the things that are scary and uncomfortable and painful. Like if we were talking about them more, I think people would just like probably the conversations that would allow people to feel like they're in a position to do something about it. I think, I don't know, like, I I think all of these things are just so tied to communication and so tied to just the taboo nature we assign to different subjects, you know, that just really creates a danger zone because, you know, the education isn't there. And if somebody's not educated about it, they're going to go and perpetuate some action. And just, it's this never ending cycle. Do you ever think about someone that you're around that the thing that they haven't told you, like what is someone holding in they haven't shared (laughs) and you think you know everything? Like I found through my work as a breakup coach that, you know, I always felt like I knew everything about my boyfriends. And then I would have these clients that are men and there was like this underbelly of this reality that they were going through or they were thinking about that they never shared with their wives or their girlfriends. I'm like, oh my God, have the men I've been with had that too? It's like now I'm like really the other woman that gets to hear. But it also makes me think, oh my God, what are the things that I had no idea? And is there any way to be with someone so they really feel more encouraged to expose something? But what are the things that people aren't saying? Yeah. I mean, I think just attempting to have the conversation is a good start. I mean, obviously, like probably one person in like a two person relationship would have to be the instigator. You know, it's like another matter of like you demonstrate yeah. the kind of actions that you want to see, right? But yeah, I mean, in attempting, I'm really interested in getting partners and groups, polyamorous relationships to discuss these things at the same time and not just getting like a one-sided view of things. And a lot of times they'll run into, oh, well, you know, we haven't had that conversation yet, but we really should, you know. So sometimes they like use the possibility of doing an interview as an opportunity for that, you know. But yeah, there are so many people that have all these things they're willing to talk to a stranger about, but they don't want to tell their own wife or their husband or boyfriend or partner. I know, I know. And then it's like, I think about people that get married 
they're almost the most like that, like that they don't want to say anything <laughs> yet. And it's like we you signed up for a life with someone and they're the one person you can't speak to. How did that how did that happen? And I guess <laughs> it's this fear of rocking the boat. And I remember being this way actually when I was dating. I mean, it was like such a chronic issue that I believed if I said one thing, it could change everything. If mm-hmm. I cried too much on one trip, it would be <laughs> over. It would be shot. It took me years and being in like my danger zone, which was airports, because I was always so hysterical in airports because I was in these long distance relationships. It triggered me one year. I was walking through an airport and I realized I have this fear about others because I change my opinion about myself that easily. I don't change it about others, but I'm like one moment I'm my biggest fan and one moment I'm my biggest enemy. And so I realized it was my own issue with myself and not really that one thing I could ever do. I mean, you could do some really outrageous things, but really in reality, you saying one thing to someone, you opening up about one thing usually doesn't just change everything overnight. Right. But I mean, like you were saying, like it has so much to do really at the end of the day with what you're thinking about yourself and what you're feeling, because that's what you then project on another person. That's another part of the recovery program I'm in is like this really, really fearless uh, self-awareness, you know, of like, there's this, you know, idea of anything that bothers you about another person. It's an indication that this is what bothers you about yourself. But also like, we can't expect anybody to fix us. We can't expect anybody else to kind of like complete us. This idea of being completed by somebody is ridiculous. But, you know, in addition to demonstrating a willingness to share and be vulnerable, I think it's also like just practicing radical self-acceptance. I work with a lot of people in this space and, you know, what I liken it to, a lot of them are are parents and, you know, I look at it like, well, if you think about your own child, right, there's nothing that your own child would do or say like that would ever really destroy your love for them. Like even if they broke your heart and disappointed you in every possible way, even within all of those feelings, you would still have this unbreakable love for this child. And it's kind of the same way with like you existing in the universe. Like, I don't think that it's possible that we exist because we're meant to suffer. Like, I think, you know, there's so much to be embraced about ourselves, and that there is some undying support out there. I think it's like the universe treating us as if we're the children. Mm-hmm. And so there's always this base level of like, no matter how wrong, <laughs> how much wrong we do, we're still worthy of being loved and being forgiven. And, you know, if that's the case, then why waste your energy, like worrying about something or being in fear or beating yourself up? Nothing ever comes of that. But when you can start just being really accepting about it, like even the worst stuff, like when I go through terrible depression sometimes, and like, I don't want to be awake in the sunlight, and I don't want to do anything except just eat carbs and just like (laughs) bemoan my life. But that period doesn't end until I get to the point where it's like, this is where I'm at. And okay, like this depression fucking sucks, but I'm going to accept this is where I am and make the most of it and just be like, give into it, eat even more carbs, you know, sleep as much as I can, like really run at that feeling I'm trying to get away from. And that usually is like a way of demonstrating, okay, like I accept where I am. And then it just naturally gets to a point where I'm able to let that go because I'm not fighting it. Yeah. I remember even last week I was sick and I always, it's like, I can't ever let myself be sick or I can't let myself. I mean, the big thing is like you just said, like sleep. And my sister was like, you should just let yourself be sick. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, every time I woke up, I I was like, apologies. I I just took so much medicine. I think I had to go sleep. 
<laughs> and I'm so apologetic for it. And I think it's so hard crossing over in life and really even understanding, wrapping your mind around this idea of giving in to a feeling, giving in to where you're at, giving into the depression, because a lot of people think that it's going to overtake them and they'll never recover if they give in to something. And yet somehow it ends up being the opposite. I mean, I guess it's like what we resist persists. Yeah, I think it really perpetuates it trying not to fight anything. <laughs> also, what's like coming up for me is, you know, believing other people too. It's like, I understand what it's like to be depressed or hearing what you're talking about. But I know for myself, bringing this back to dating, is you know someone that I'm friends with, also like been semi-romantic with, has fallen into like a dark place. And I was telling someone this because you know every friend wants to know like why I'm not seeing this person. And their whole thing is like this is an excuse. And he would bring up you know like his mental health. And it's like we have two options in life. We can ask people for the truth of where they're at, and we can choose to believe them with what they tell us, or we can dismiss them. And it's interesting to me that not only do we have a hard time giving in to our own pain and acknowledging it and then expressing it to others, but when someone tells us that this is where they're at, a lot of people don't validate it. They don't believe it. They think, well, desire should trump depression. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about that? I think it's one... I think it's a demonstration of that person's own discomfort with probably that very same thing in themselves. But it's also equating something to being a matter of will that really mm. has nothing to do with will. Like, it's tough. It's one of those things that just acceptance is just, <laughs> it's really the key. But it's like being able to accept it in yourself and like give somebody the space to do that. I think it's also people they're so uncomfortable with other people's expression of pain and discord. Like we want to fix it. We want to help them. So I think one, it's kind of like a gut level reaction to somebody sharing that there's something that they're suffering with. Like you want them to not be there. So I think in wanting that, maybe it's just, it's one of those things that comes out that's just easier. Like that's the the easiest answer to, to grab is like, well then just don't do this or just don't do that. Like people think that they're being helpful probably, but you know, you're really, you're invalidating their feelings, like you said, and you're shaming them for it, not only for having that experience, but also for sharing it with you. But it's not a matter of self-will. I mean, when people are going through things like this, that they're suffering, it's very rarely a matter of, of them like choosing to suffer. It's them, you know, going through something, being vulnerable with you and sharing it and, you know, kind of being upfront about maybe I don't know how to deal with this. This is just where I am. Maybe it's their attempt at accepting it. And like, if you can't honor that space and be accepting of what they're sharing with you, like, yeah, there's very little progress. There's so much ego and wanting to be the answer. Someone shares with you where they're at and then you think, well, I should be the answer to that. And it's like, you just have to, you said this, like honor someone's space and not impose yourself into someone else's recovery, really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always just thought I could be the answer. 
<laughs> people just need to be heard, you know, like it's sometimes enough to just say, I hear you, you know, I mean, this, this I don't know. I've not known somebody personally that I've been very close with that's gone through cancer. That's like a friend and not, you know, somebody much older and family member. But I don't know I read about that all the time. Like they don't want to be pussyfooted around. They don't want to be like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. Like they want to be treated like, okay, this is what I'm going through. And kind of like, just <laughs> like, this is part of their experience and they're not looking for you to fix it. And it's not, you know, people are so uncomfortable being around anything that's uncomfortable, disease or otherwise. It's like, because you want to fix it. You don't want to witness somebody suffering. You want to be able to, to do something about it. And I think you feel as if, well, if you can't do that, then like, I don't even know how to deal with this and I'm just going to remove myself, you know? Right, right. <laughs> I'm going to put you on mute until you're well again. And then I wish that people, as we were saying about people sharing their story, I wish more people, and maybe this is me trying to fix people, but <laughs> yeah, believe that I don't mind seeing, I don't think I mind seeing what you're so scared of me seeing. Right. Like, I feel like I hold this place in my mind where now that you've told me you're not well, I understand this. And if I were to see it, I'm not going to hold you to an expectation to be someone that I'm desiring in this way. Like I could see this very human part. I'm actually very interested in that part. And I'm not going to hold it against you down the line when you're actually better and in a different phase. I wish people would allow themselves to be seen during these moments rather than isolate. But I guess maybe that's me trying to fix <laughs> Because I do think that there's this feeling that people can't see me like this. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But again, like if you felt more comfortable, if you kind of owned that, I think that feeling would be lessened. I don't know. I, I love that Dr. Susan, I'm sure I'm going to paraphrase it incorrectly, but that idea of do what you want and, and say what you will because the people who care don't matter and the people who matter don't care. This is something to that effect. But I, I kind of look at it as... You know, and the same with my mother. Like, if I can't share these things, like, why am I going to fight to have you in my life? Like, that's not, I'm going to use that as a filter of who I'm going to share space with. These are things that bother you, and this is how I am. Like, then we really definitely should not be <laughs> hanging out or interacting. That's my kind of, uh, my system. Absolutely. I, I also feel on a smaller level with dating because people are always so like, I mean, on the most basic level, like, oh, if I look like I'm interested in going for drinks or anything, like, is this going to be too much? It's like, use that filter as well. If asking or if saying something that's not even that revealing <laughs> is going to put someone off, then they aren't the person to be letting in. I mean, this should be the very thing that we use as like the entrance pass into our life. Absolutely. Yeah, I will tell you, dating as somebody who is transparent on the internet is not easy. <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> oh my God. Um, well, the sex stuff specifically, I mean, I said I do two episodes a week. The second one that I do is a very quick uh, run through of how I got off the week before. So I mean, one, like kind of whole life. It's like, when did this sexuality start? I don't think that it did. I think it was always just there. But I've always been very vocal about my own experiences thoughts, especially like dick size, uh, you know, who I'm sleeping with, how good they are, whatever. Anyway, so mm. when I have these episodes, it's like, well, if I slept with somebody and either, you know, his erection failed or he had a really tiny dick, like I'm not going to not share that. So dating and knowing that if you're going to sleep with somebody that, I mean, I'm not identifying anybody, everything is anonymous, but like that's going to come out. And it just, 
people come into it and they're all confident and, oh, yeah, I'm going to be fine. It's whatever. I'm not going to listen. And then they always fucking listen. And <laughs> it's just really uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable for me, too, because I'm not I'm not doing any of it to be cruel. It's like I'm creating this intention to be honest and forthright about things that I think like should be discussed. So I'm going to, you know, participate in this, discuss these things, you know, so if I was to suddenly be like, oh, well, now that I'm having the sex, now that I'm having this experience, I'm going to withhold, I'm going to like set this line of, well, it's fine for you to do, but not fine for me, you know, so finding people that one, obviously their dick has to be big enough, but their skin has to be really thick too. And to be able to handle me talking about these things and writing about these things. So yeah, it's a problem. Uh, by the <laughs> way, and I totally hear you on this because I find as well that people will be like, that's what I want. I know that you're this way. I, <laughs> I'm totally comfortable with it. This is your work. This is you. Yes, I'm taking it on with you. And I'm like, are you sure? And like, <laughs> I'm supporting you. Then it goes south. And uh, I was, I did something recently too. I, I mean, I set it up. I'm like, I'm not sure that you want this because it will probably be discussed. And then the whole thing was, I was like, I felt nothing during sex. And I'm like, this is not a problem of him. This was like a problem of me. And yet still, I guess no one wants to find out that someone felt nothing. <laughs> like, oh man. It's so hard because, okay, you get someone's approval. They're like, no, I, I'm totally signing up for this with you. So then you think like they're through the door, but then like you go through with it and then you find out actually they just backed out. They were only in halfway and then they <laughs> dropped out. They're like, holy shit. I actually, you're right. Like I didn't have thick enough skin, but you know what I think would be cool? You know, okay. So you're giving feedback about this experience and that's usually what I'm doing. And when I write about relationships, I am begging for feedback myself. Like, what if this guy, you know, you give your evaluation and then he gave his evaluation. Wouldn't that be so great to find out? Maybe he thought, you know, you lacked in some areas or whatever too. I mean, I would love to know that stuff, I think. I too. And it's funny that you say that because actually there's like a, a hidden episode of the podcast. What was supposed to be episode one was a, an interview that I did. Like the people that are on the podcast that are people that I've slept with, I assign a number to them and it's like the number that they are on my fuck list. Anyway, so this was number 47. And we talked about how, and it was, it was not a very um, flattering description or scenario on either of our parts about how our relationship started. But we, you you know, I, and we just talked about it. We talked about like what his perception of how it started was and what my perception was and then what we thought about the sex. And, you know, and there were things in both of our eyes that, you know, were lacking. And, you know, there's also... I've had conversations with former sexual assaulters, nonviolent assaults, but having very uncomfortable conversations and you know, like what made you think that this was okay and like having that really it's and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me too, but like, you know, I have been willing to have those conversations. I have recorded them, so I love that. But yeah, so he was supposed to be the first episode, number 47. And then the day before, like we had recorded this months before and I'm like, you're going to be the first episode, blah, 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 blah. And then like the night before, he's like, I just feel too uncomfortable with how I came off. I don't want you to publish it. So I, I took it down. But yeah, and even more to that point, I think like in one way, it's kind of a societal, like women are, are judged and kind of laid out in this, you know, ranking whether it's passive or not, just 
being in the world, right? Advertisements and just this whole male gaze kind of influencing everything. So I think women being vocal about, you know, their feedback, especially like with performance and physicality and things like that is still very important. And, you know, it's kind of a counter to what's already there. But yeah, I mean, men are very hesitant to share these same things in that way. That's not like the passive societal stuff. I wrote a piece that was like the most disappointing dicks I've ever encountered. And I've been trying for over seven months to get men to give me feedback so that I can write the most disappointing pussies I've ever encountered. Because all of them will write me and they'll be like, oh, I've had experiences like that with women. Like, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, okay, tell me about them. Like, I want to put this together because I know that it's out there. But they, I don't know, there's this roadblock between wanting to share that. It's so, I don't know, it's just mind. Uh, well, I would think that people would be surprised. Everyone thinks that like every guy is just talking shit about the women that they're with, with other men, yeah. but maybe there's something to be said. Yeah. I, and I found that too. I think that I remember a friend of mine saying that I can never get your ex to tell me about you guys. And she would always set this up as a negative. I said to her recently, I'm like, did you ever think it's because maybe he's protecting our relationship? I'm like, God, I'll, I'll write about all these guys. But I'm like, wow, it's not the same for some other people, like that they have this boundary where they're protecting what we had. Maybe that's like a real virtue that a guy wouldn't want to expose that. Yeah. In today's world, though, I do think men would be very afraid to share that. They think that they would be, their name would be leaked and they'd be taken down. But I mean, don't you think too, as, as a woman, like we've already, we're born into this, like this judgment has already, it's everywhere that we go, you know? So don't yeah, you- Yeah, but I think that people are trying to stop the judgment. Yeah. So by trying to encourage men to be open about their judgment of women, yeah. but still, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by more of like the conversation because, you know, you have an article and it seems like you're just exposing people without any, you know, no one can say anything back to it, I guess. But then what's really thrilling is this idea of like what you were doing is having a conversation. People are really bad at this. People will talk behind each other's backs about how they really feel about someone and they'll seem different in front of someone's face. Like to encourage someone to be able to expose kind of what they remember happening or why they did certain things or what they were actually feeling would be huge. Yeah. It's like, did you really think I was a good kisser? <laughs> it's like, oh my God, it like hit me. I'm like, oh my God, that was like the most powerful kiss I've ever experienced. How could someone else not feel that? Like that was undeniable. Could you imagine if you found out that he wasn't into that at all? It's like, <laughs> wow, shit's really in my head that much. Like that would be, wow. I mean, I don't know how that would change things going forward. You brought up to me earlier about like the word humility. Yeah. I mean, talk about how that would humble you. Well, I mean, I'm humbled all the time. And um, when you were saying uh, this hypothesis of like, what if you were really into something and, you know, it turns out that the other person did not share that experience. So one of the people that I did interview, number 52, um, he was kind of the inspiration for the podcast specifically because we had this incredibly vocal sex that also involved um, kind of role-playing like the idea of a gangbang. And I assumed that it was personal to me. And, you know, because this was like the first night that we had sex, he had asked me what kind of porn I was into. And like at the time, like that's what I was watching. So that's what I brought up. And that's what led to this and blah, 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 blah. So I always assumed like this was very personal. This was specific to me. So I bring him on the podcast to have this conversation and I'm bringing this up. And he's like, oh yeah, I do that with everybody. And I was just like, what? Uh, it was like, but I, I don't know. It's- <laughs> no, I mean, I totally feel you. I mean, 
I'm just going to drop this down from gangbang to like my world. So I have a guy, my fingers somehow go into his mouth. I literally go to another world. It's like I leave the planet. I go into a different place where this is the most amazing thing. And I drop back down my body. I go, how many times have you done that before? (laughs) And he goes, never. And I go, please be honest. I go, this is not about me. I need to know for the sake of you. He goes, I've never done that. I go, you need to always do that with anyone you're with. And then could you imagine if I found out later that no, this is like his signature move? I would be like, one, I thought that you lied to me. But then I'd also be a little bit like, dude, I thought that was just meant for me. Like, oh my God, I would die if someone was like, no, that's what I do all the time is that gangbang role play. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I go into all of this with the willingness to be equally exposed and equally kind of run down or judged. Because one, I I think it's just right. But I mean, you know, with humility, it's like none of this is being done from the perspective of like, I know best and I'm the best at Mm -hmm. this and I'm this, you know, whatever. It's like, I'm willing to talk about these things. I'm willing to be uncomfortable myself. I think like everything that I'm doing is kind of a demonstration of that. But I mean, as far as humility in in life outside of the work things, it's a matter of, I don't know, we say in recovery, it's like humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Mm. So it's really, you know, I'm trying to approach it as like, what is this offering to somebody else? What is this experience? Like, what can it possibly lead to? I know it may seem contradictory, especially since, you know, everything that I'm working on is like so much of myself is in it, but it's not driven by this desire to like put myself everywhere and infiltrate into everything. You know, it's more of like just creating an opportunity for other people to do this and engage in this and have these conversations themselves. So it feels like a, a hard line to to identify sometimes, you know, like where where am I being too narcissistic or too um, indulgent. Exact, too indulgent, yes. You know, like, where is my motivation really lying in all of these things? And I'm sure it, it does get away from me, but, you know, like being able to admit that and face that and, you know, certainly <laughs> being willing to allow people to post the comments that they do. Yeah, it's just a matter of, okay, if this is your interpretation, if this is what you got out of what I put out there, like, if I'm going to put this out there, I got to be willing to take it. 100%. It's like, it would be super indulgent if you then blocked comments, you know, like, if you couldn't take in other people's experience of it, I think that's where it just becomes you being on display, you having yourself just on display. But I think the fact that you're opening yourself to have people respond and react is a big thing. I think also that, you know, when you're kind of being like this trailblazer, I think like any sort of kind of movement into something new, there's a risk taker and they start with themselves. I think eventually the next phase or something could be, you know, other people coming on and it becomes about just them. Realize that like, you know, somehow something can suddenly tilt or shift into it being less about you and becoming more about others. But that happens when others feel like they'll do what you've been doing, which is exposing and expressing yourself. And so you set the example and then hopefully other people become just as encouraged to be somewhat like you. That's true. That's my dream for the site and the pod. Like, for me to not be in it at all, really, you know, yeah. like, 
I mean, to host it, obviously, but, you know, I, I want it to be a point where everything that's submitted is other people's experience, you know, but again, like you said, like, you have to model this kind of behavior and kind of set the stage and be and the one willing to do the thing. So other people are like, okay, I guess I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> burst into flames if I do that thing. Because Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it can take a while to prove that you're not bursting into flames. It's not going to be immediate that people are going to be offering themselves up. I think you just have to kind of, both things have to be valuable. You know, you doing it and it just being about you for now has to be valuable. And then if it becomes about other people's submissions and just them, then that has to also be valuable. Both have to have that for you. Yes. And it absolutely does. Like that's really what's driving this is and what my vision has always been. It was never, I wish I had this platform where I just shared about my sex life and shared audio of me getting fucked in the ass. Like no, that, that wasn't my dream. My dream is like this place where, especially like the, uh, we haven't even talked about this, but like just the censorship that is everywhere right now in social media, especially like people do not have a place to go that is like easily accessible, well-designed, you know, that's kind of like as commercial as Instagram or whatever. They don't have a place like that to go to share this kind of material. And that's really what I would love to do is like provide this place for you to be as filthy as you want and sow the seeds for all of that, you know, because like people are taking these videos, they're recording themselves doing these things. They have these images and it's like, where can they go that they're not going to feel, you know, that they have to restrict any of it, you know, like make it appropriate and decent and blah, blah, blah. Like, fuck that. Like, this is part of your experience. This is life. This is literally life, you know? So, Why don't you just do the another Pornhub? Like, you just become the next, I mean, isn't that... People have said that and they're like, you know, you're basically, you're on your way to becoming a pornographer, which is fine, you know? Like, and also I'm the hosting sex events and like, so am I a sex worker? Am I not? Like, I, this whole thing is totally, like, I'm totally fine with all of these labels. And it, I don't think it's a matter of being the next Pornhub, you know, because also there's something not real about Pornhub. I love me some Pornhub, don't get me wrong. But the intent was never to just be another porn host. It was like a place for people to share like the reality and also kind of the more creative side to it. Yeah, I just mean like logging on to something. It seems like that would be like you're creating this world that people open up another tab and they go into this world. Yeah, well, I mean, behind the scenes, this is actually, I'm working with the developer now. Graphic Paint is getting completely rebuilt to be more supportive of uh, user submissions, but Mm. also like in still a, you know, subscription gate. So kind of taking some elements of Patreon where people can, you know, have the ability to earn money, but also there's a way of just going into this and creating a community around this, that it's not just, you know, like I have some place to go to watch dirty videos. It's like, I have some place to go where I can talk to somebody about like whatever life stuff in the same space that you're going and like watching somebody like get really brutally. (laughs) You know, it reminds me of these guys that do video games and they talk to their buddies about life while they're playing these video games. It's like you could do that. They're watching a video and then people are talking about what's going on in their life at the same time. It's all connected anyway. I just really want to create that's a great. place for people to take advantage of these things that are already happening. You know, it's like around the herd. Keep the vision. <laughs> in pursuit of the vision. So what does it mean to you or what do you think about when you hear the word break up word? 
I think about letting go of something <laughs> through a lot of breakups. I've gone through a lot of really big changes. And to me, I like, guess painful as they can be. And it's something I forget constantly, but it's an opportunity, right? I was a big Oprah lover and she always said, you know, I want to think she said this, but there's this idea when you lose it, don't lose the lesson. Mm. So yeah, I, th- I think breakups are like, you're broken open for a reason, you know? So where can you go from there? I, uh, and I think too, even going back to what we were saying with, with acceptance and kind of, you know, if what you need and what you want and who you are is something that puts somebody else off, like if you're broken up with, or you feel the need to break up with another person, like obviously there was something there that wasn't working. So it's healthier to be able to let that go instead of fighting to try to keep something that obviously wasn't meant to be. Mm. Or it's only meant to be for so long. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest lessons and opportunities, again, in life is learning when to release something. And that's how you can honor it more. But grasping and grabbing and like putting your claws into something is what kind of destroys the value of it. Yeah. So where can my audience find you? They can find me online at graphicpaint.com. The podcast Sex Communication is hosted on the website. You'll see lots of things directing you to that. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. But yeah, like all of the the projects are there. I welcome user submissions, writing, video, other audio, photos. We have a banned image feed now that we've been booted off of Instagram for the podcast. So, you know, we can create those things for other people. And like I said, we're getting worked on behind the scenes. So hopefully within six months, we'll have a totally new version to roll out. So keep an eye on us. Yeah, keep an eye. (laughs) eyes peeled i am so nervous like it says recording and this hasn't happened but like i would be heartbroken if i in this and it disappears i feel like this was so fun it was so unexpected for me i thought i was gonna be talking about sobriety the entire time instead i've been like titillated if that's the word i just feel completely jumpy and alive i'm just like wow what happened oh my god this is amazing we're so different (laughs) We really are. But I just, I appreciate and I'm excited for you. And I just thank you. Thank you for coming on and sharing all of this with me. Thank you for having a forum where you encourage people to to go deep and and (laughs) be vulnerable. That was was part of your request for attendees. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Self-criticism. I mean, I just don't know any other way to be. It's like pass. I mean, I say to invest in you, which I want to do, like you got to reveal yourself, reveal yourself so I can invest in you. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you. And congratulations on your sobriety. Thank you. If this episode resonated with you, it would mean the absolute world if you could pass it on and let other people know about it. How you can support this podcast is really just sharing it, telling people about it. If you know someone that's hurting in their heart, tell them about Thank You Heartbreak. And if you want to be a guest on Thank You Heartbreak, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Thank You Heartbreak, or you can email me directly at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at BreakUpward, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-W-A-R-D, dot com. 
And if you're interested in one-on-one coaching sessions, you can visit my website, breakupward.com slash shop, where you can check out directly from my site. It's a super, 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 super simple process. Of course, I will answer any of your questions before you book. And again, you can email me at chelsea at breakupward.com. There's many different coaching options. And I would love to show up for you as you begin to show up in more wise and clarifying and secure ways for yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.